Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that likes the sport of sporran. It's already raining World Cup sets down under, as well as actual rain, although if you're expecting Sri Lanka and West Indies to make it through the first round without any mishaps, then you haven't been paying attention. England are being talked up as one of the favourites and begin their campaign against Afghanistan at the weekend, a game that's clearly going one of two ways. Anyway, with Scotland and Namibia making it feel like 2021 all over again, I'm joined by two men who know plenty about punching above their weight. ESPN Crick Info Associate slash Assistant Editor Combo, Vidushin Ahantaraja and Matt Roller. Uh, good to have you on board, fellas. Vish, I think you claim some vague allegiance to Scottish cricket, despite being a, a Sassanac, or a Sri Lankan Sassanac anyway. How good was their win over West Indies? Yeah, pretty great, really. It was kind of the, um, you know, whenever we have these matchups, you always think of... I suppose the the way that you know a team like Scotland can lay a glove on one like the West Indies, especially given the West Indies pedigree, and you you realise that everything needs to be in sync because we've seen in the past where maybe you know regardless of a good start they tend to give it away, whether it's you know bowling through the middle overs in the field or just not being able to get the ball away in the middle overs with the bat, and this was close to the perfect performance there, not just from Munzee, but also Mark Watt as well, who's everyone's favourite Scottish cricketer at the time of recording. Um, yeah, it felt like the ultimate team performance and, and it didn't seem like they were particularly overstretched as well, which is um, which is good to see. And I, I was going to say it's been a long time coming as someone who's always admired Scottish cricket close up at Edinburgh and then from afar. But um this seemed a lot more assured than I've seen them in the past. And um, yeah, they, they spoke of, I suppose, a more sustainable way of, way of playing for them, which has actually been by being a bit more cavalier and a bit more bit more rogue in their approach. And um, yeah, I'm on the jocks. <laughs> uh, it didn't um, it didn't look as if the conditions in um, uh, uh, in Australia, Hobart, hurt them, uh, Matt. Um, and I think, as you noted, there was a bit of it was a bit of revenge for the uh, 2019 World Cup qualifier. Yeah, well, famously, um, Scotland got stitched up by uh, a dodgy LBW decision that um, should have been overturned by DRS, but no one bothered to have DRS for that qualifying tournament at the time. So um, Scotland's chance of making the 50 over World Cup that year were uh, were done, despite the fact they, um, you know, probably on balance deserve to to sneak through. Um, so I think it was, yeah, quite a nice, uh, a nice win for them on on more than one front. Um, it, yeah, it was actually quite similar, I thought, to their win against Bangladesh last year at the start of the 2021 tournament. And I guess the big um, question that hopefully we'll we'll see answered because I think there's a, a good chance they'll they probably need one win against either Ireland or Zimbabwe and I think they'll be pretty confident that they'll manage at least one um, from those two but the big question will be whether they can uh, improve on their showing in the Super 12s and um, sort of I don't know lay a glove on the big boys I suppose a bit more than they did last year um, and also you know we've seen the stat going around that Scotland have only played two T20 internationals since that last tournament which I, I guess you know they've obviously played a lot of 50 over cricket but it shows the extent to which um opportunities are still so limited for associate nations so yeah um i think it would be uh, a really nice story if the the only associate nation in that um first round group um because it is yeah an unusually strong one with zimbabwe and ireland in there as well be a really nice story for them to sneak through and then also hopefully um manage to yeah 
um, at least throw a few punches in the in the second round or the first round proper, I suppose, as I think as I think most of the players sort of admit it is as well. I think, you know, Mark, what we're saying, you know, the proper, I think he described it as the proper group stage today, which, um, yeah, I, I still don't love this format of the World Cup. But yeah, thankfully it's changed for 2024 in the Caribbean and the US. You're not buying uh, the ICC propaganda that this is a 16-team tournament, uh, genuinely. Uh, I, I uh, noted that this was, you know, the, the the sort of commentary was saying this is Scotland's first T20 win in a, in a year since the last T20 World Cup, which is true, but because they've only played, you know, uh, those two games against New Zealand um, in the intervening period. Uh, Vish, Matt talked last week on uh, the pod about the inbuilt volatility uh, of this tournament. And uh, and we've kind of already seen that, not just with, with the Scotland result, but uh, Sri Lanka getting knocked over by Namibia in the very first game. Yeah, I, I, sp- I suppose that is true. I mean, you know, like it's that old adage of, like, you know, one set of tennis, you'd fancy, you know, the top rank to be knocked over by the bloke or woman ranked at 100. But... It all seemed a bit proper. I, th- I think it's interesting because we used to we used to have this argument about um, associate affiliate nations back in the day about you know where their best opportunities were going to come from, and there was a stage when Ireland seemed to be you know putting all their eggs in the in the test basket. But if you look around, yeah, if you look around the world, you know <laughs> you gave us that hat trick stat before we started recording um, about the number of hat tricks since twenty twenty one and. You know, Matt made a good point that because the T20I status has opened up. But even before that, it feels like more associate nations or more associate players are playing T20 cricket around the world anyway. And it might not be in the higher profile things. It might be in places like Canada and, 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 you know, and the US and other places like that. But it does feel like everyone has a similar level of, I suppose, exposure to the format. And I think that's what we're seeing all across. Bear in mind that, you know, Mark White and his presser today, uh, Tuesday, um, ahead of the Ireland game, spoke about, you know, his sheet of paper and all, the, you know, the prep he puts into that and the fact that he sits down with an analyst, then he work, then he spends two hours filling that little card with information. Now, everyone is privy to those analysts, not just team, not just international teams, but people are able to speak to analysts on a one-on-one basis to get their information about what they do or where where the trends of the game are going. And that knowledge is just, it feels quite ubiquitous at this, you know, at this point in time, you know, we write articles on our website about the different trends and, and people read that and, you know, all that information is more readily available. So I suppose actually the, vol- you could argue the volatility has gone out of it a little bit. And it just so happens that the, the team's, Weaker when it comes to a World Cup situation, are just more afraid with the, you know, with the whims of T Twenty cricket than ever before. And of course, as as we've mentioned, uh, getting on a run in T Twenty is as 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 important as anything else. We'll probably talk a little bit um, about in, in in relation to Ben Stokes about the advantages of playing a lot of T Twenty uh, or playing no T Twenty, uh, as it may be. Um, as preparation for a World Cup, anyway, Eng- England have um, completed their uh, their their build up. Um, they've they followed up a series win in Pakistan by knocking over the defending T Twenty World Cup champions uh, Australia in their own backyard. Um, Matt, things are, are looking good on paper, but like uh, trustonomics coming into contact with the reality, that's no guarantee of success. 
yeah, I think um I think England's build up has gone about as well as it could have um since since they left for Pakistan in mid September. I think um if you'd offered exactly what's happened to um Matthew Martin, the fact they have some genuine selection headaches going into the first game, uh, I, I think that that would have been a situation they'd have absolutely taken. Um I think it's clearly it's a bit dangerous reading too much into two you know relatively tight wins against Australia. I think both those those games were won by eight runs, and um, I think you know to be fair, it would probably have been a, a much bigger victory margin in the third game if that had um, actually been played out to its conclusion after Chris Wokes um, sort of did the early damage there. Um, but yeah, I think England will feel pretty confident um, at this stage. I think. They've been quite keen to sort of play down their own chances. And I think um, from what players have said and what Mott has said throughout the the past sort of, uh, I guess, month or so now, um, they've made quite a big point of playing playing down the idea that they're favourites because I think they feel as much as anything that it, it's not a particularly helpful tag to have. I, I mean, obviously heading into 2019, England did eventually win the World Cup, but it was there were definitely points where I think the team have spoken about... Um, the pressure that they felt during that tournament, the expectations of being at home, the expectations of being favourites, conditions not being quite as they expected, and just the sort of uh, the challenges that get thrown up while you're playing in a tournament. Um, so as I see it, yeah, I think they've been been purposefully downplaying themselves, even though the results have been pretty good, uh, and generally describing themselves as sort of a dangerous team to play against. And they, they're saying, you know, no one's going to love playing against us, but... Um, they're, they're keen to to sort of stress that they see Australia as the favourites, sort of put all the pressure on them, especially ahead of um, you know the game against them in the group stage. Uh, and I think, yeah, I, as I see it, I think England are a pretty well placed to qualify from that group. And um, yeah, it, it, it's a really strange one actually with these qualifiers because it feels like um, depending a bit on who comes through, you know, that there's a situation in which England could play both Sri Lanka and West Indies. It's also a situation in which they play neither. Um, so you could get a sort of group of death or group of life, but then again, by saying those things in the first place, it almost feels like you're potentially under um, underestimating a team like you know what Zimbabwe's quicks did against Ireland with a new ball uh, on on Tuesday. Um, no, sorry, on Monday even. And yeah, I don't know. I think that those teams will will provide some challenges. Um, you know, the first game against Afghanistan in Perth, Afghanistan could potentially field three or four spinners, um, including Rashid Khan and Majib. And if everything goes right for them and the pitch does a little bit, then it could be real, you know, it could be a real struggle for England. But um, yeah, I think it, overall, um, I'm pretty, pretty pleased about how the preparation's gone. That is the beauty of the format. I suppose it, it can be a bit of a lottery at times. Um, I'll quickly recap the details of that. Uh, the Australia series, um, Vish, uh, there was a, an eight-run win in Perth. Uh, Joss Butler and Alex Hales put on a, um, a century opening stand together there. Mark Wood took wickets. Uh, they won again by eight runs in Canberra. David Milan scoring 82 and Sam Curran impressing, particularly with death bowling. Uh, and then the third game was abandoned uh, and rain wrecked, really. Butler, again, 65 not out. Uh, and Chris Rokes, three for four uh, from his two overs. Uh, so I suppose the, the big um, pluses for England going into the tournament, they also won a warm-up game against Pakistan um, in Brisbane. Um, but Butler coming back into form after a long layoff with a calf injury. Um, and it looks as if kind of those, those fast bowling options um, that were a bit of a punt when they were named in the squad kind of two months ago, having barely played any T20 for the last 12 months, Mark Wood and, and Chris Wokes, 
looking look like they have options for the bowling there, albeit that in the last sort of 24 hours, Reese Topley's rolled an ankle and, and is a bit of a doubt for the opening game. Yeah, and I suppose we could also throw Chris Jordan in there um, as somebody who came back from injury and maybe even Sam Curran. Like, I, I don't know about, you know, R- Roller is across this a lot more than I am, but I didn't really see this emergence as a death bowler. Um, you know, there was that great clip um you know for the Lexham Yorker uh, the other day against Australia when um you know he's coming over the wicket and uh, there was a someone did a side by side with an IPL wicket he took um also at the death um was it this year I think in yeah 2022 um which showed kind of I suppose the fact that he can get the ball reversing from that angle and it's a, it's something that he's he's clearly worked on as well yeah and and, and I suppose from your starting point about the injuries and the, the the squad that was selected when I think only 10 of them were actually fully fit was a bit of a gamble, but evidently they've, um, you know, they, they they knew they would have the lead in of, of Pakistan, particularly for, for Mark Wood. And then these, these T20s against Australia to get people through. Livingston was the only doubt, I think. Um, and I suppose technically we are still talking about the bowling here. Um, but but um, yeah, you know, even, even that game, Against Pakistan, it seems to have, um, you know, it, you know, he seems to be in, in decent working order. I, I do wonder actually if he won't play that first game just to give him a bit more time. But I suppose, with all due respect to Afghanistan, there is that, you know, they might see them see that as a bit of a luxury, as the um, depending on who else comes through, is potentially the easier of the of the three established teams around them. So, yeah, it, it it does feel like England are in a better place with the fast bowling because it has always been an issue and I, and I suppose like death bowling around the world it, it's not it's hard to look at a particular team and say they've got it sus beyond saying they they might have a Harris Ralph or whoever else but it feels like given the work, given the movement we've seen early doors given the movement people have talked about under lights as well someone like Chris Wokes suddenly comes in as a bit more of a threat in those in that opening period and someone who maybe you know if he does end up bowling his three in the first 10 then kind of not solves the problem, but I suppose if he ends up doing that, then England are probably in quite a good spot going into those last 10. Um, so, yeah, it's it's quite encouraging given that, you know, certainly when they left for Pakistan mid-September, it felt like this really was the that era of a white ball team, you know, Sands, Owen Morgan, clinging on a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it, it does feel like there's a... Well, it does certainly feel like I personally have have underrated them going into this. Well, they they obviously uh, didn't have much success in the summer, and it had been I think a, a year or so since a, a bilateral series win um, uh, going into the, the Pakistan tour. Uh, Matt, you were obviously out there, and you've been uh, following this build up pretty closely. Um, w- let's go in, go in on that um, question of you know the balance of the side and whether Sam Curran has kind of shot into uh, into the reckoning here, uh, you know, somewhat up the rail. Um, looking, I mean, England's death bowling, go back a, a, a year to the, the, the World Cup and the World Cup semi-final. Uh, um, the wheels obviously fell off against New Zealand. Um, in, in the last year, Sam Curran uh, has the best best um, economy in the death, death overs for England. Um, and, and, you know, out of all of England's quicks, um, I mean, I think out of all bowlers, but you know, with a with a cutoff of, I think having bowled four overs or something in that uh, that period of the 
innings. Um, current economy 9.16, and then you've got Wood 9.2, Topley 9.33, Willie 9.86, Chris Jordan 10.66, and Wokes 14.25. So we uh, steer clear of bowling him then. But um, uh, Matt, kind of the, the sense in Pakistan was that Harry Brook was kind of playing himself into the side. Obviously, questions over Liam Livingston's fitness. Um, and then Sam Curran is perhaps the other option to sl- slot in at kind of uh, 7A. W- what do you think England are thinking um, at this stage? Well, it's tricky. I think that, that obviously this Topley um, injury news has come out is kind of a reminder that um, I think especially in the build-up to a tournament, it's very easy to get sucked into sort of what's England's best team um, as a question. But it probably shows that um, what actually tends to happen in tournaments is, you know, someone will be carrying a niggle at one point, someone will be slightly out of form, someone will come in on a certain pitch against a certain opponent. Um, so I think, to be honest, the main most important thing is that, um, you know, it seems like at least 14 of the 15 will be fit and ready to go for the first game. Um, obviously, Livingston's not played a lot of cricket, but um, got through a couple of overs against Pakistan and uh, hit a six out of the gather, which... Uh, generally bodes pretty well um i think as far as i can see it the big question is whether they play the extra batter which would probably be brook this is assuming livingston's fit which i think he will be um but i'm not sure or whether they play an extra bowler um which will probably be one of jordan and willie um because i think rashid will play i think wood will play and i think wokes is nailed on as well um and as far as i can tell i you know sam karen's played pretty much every game. Um, I think he might have been rested for one in Pakistan, but he's played almost every single game that England have uh, played over the last however long has contributed uh, with the ball in particular. And I, 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 as far as I can tell, he seems seems like he's their go-to death bowler at the moment, even more so than Jordan. Like There was uh, one of the games in Australia, I think, where both of them were in the same team and uh, Butler sort of seemed to have more trust in Curran. That might partly be because he's played a lot more cricket and because uh, Jordan's kind of established at the death. People know what he does. Um, but it feels like Curran is the the banker at the moment at the death, um, which is not something that they probably expected to be the case a month ago. But um, it feels like he's really grown into that role. And, um, you know, he's clearly it's not always gone brilliantly for him when he's had to do it in the past in the IPL, for example. But um, clearly he, he's sort of um, grown in experience over time. And despite the fact he's not, the you know, he's, he's never going to be the quickest bowler. He's, he seems like he's... Um, you know, speaking to people who have worked with him in, in the 100, for example, at Oval Invincibles, it sounds like he's sort of quite um, quite big on his preparation, which isn't necessarily something you would expect from him. Um, but it's sort of quite quite aware of what um, opposition batter strengths and weaknesses are and what good plans might be to them. Um, so, yeah, as I see it, the, the big question is, yeah, extra batter or extra bowler. My hunch is that England will lean towards the extra bowler because... Um, since Butler took over as T20 captain, he's he's generally gone that way and I think likes having options on the field. Um, I think England were a bit burned in the last World Cup by uh, the decision to, you know, if you remember for the semi-final, Jason Roy was injured and they had basically a choice between bringing in a batter or a bowling all-rounder. Uh, they went with the batter who was Sam, Cur- uh, Sam Billings even at the time who didn't face a ball. Um, they were probably a little bit too cautious with the bat and then they ended up having to bowl players out of, I guess out of out of position, if that makes sense, at the death. So um, you know, what's coming back at the death and being pretty expensive. So I felt like England were a bit burned by that experience and are probably going to want to have the extra option on the field. So my inclination is that if everyone is fit, they're going to take a really tough call and leave Brook out. But um, I think whichever way they go, the luxury of having Moen Ali, Liam Livingston, and Ben Stokes in the uh, top six or seven is that. Um, 
whichever way they go, there will still be bowling options and there will still be a, a deep batting lineup. You know, even if they pick the team with quote unquote the extra bowler in, it ends up with, you know, Livingston five, Moeen six, Sam Curran seven, potentially Wokes and Jordan eight and nine, which is still still a pretty stacked batting lineup by anyone's standards. So um yeah, that that's the I think that's the big decision England have to make is how they want to structure the side. But um I think that will evolve over the course of the tournament as well. You know, um you, you never know when someone goes down like Topley this this close to the start of the World Cup, the extent to which and you know, obviously we're not out there so we don't have the insight um from the ground, but you never know when people go down this close, whether they're sort of clinging on because they're desperate to try and play at the end of the tournament or whether they're actually, you know, feasibly in contention for game one. Um so yeah, I think that's the that's the big decision England have got to make. Well, they're certainly not short on the left arm swing options anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, with uh, well, uh, another reason that Sam Curran uh, likely to play, uh, I guess, if Topley uh, isn't fit. Um, and uh, on on death bowling, as Vish mentioned, it's you know if you if you haven't got uh, a Harris Ralph or a, actually Trent Bolt is one of the has uh, one of the best economies. Uh, in that stage of the innings over the last year or so. But Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins do not. So, uh, you know, for all that they are a, a very um, formidable bowling trio. Um, Vish, in, in terms of England's balance, it's it's a, it's a luxury of all-rounders, really, isn't it? Um, we haven't even mentioned the, 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 the uh, fact that Ben Stokes could bowl some of these overs. Um, he is obviously ensconced in this number uh, four slot where England have you know, designated that he will be most likely to do some damage, um, even though we are kind of yet to see it. It seems like he is creaking slowly into some sort of form, a couple of single figure scores, I think 17 off 10 in, in that rain shortened um, thrash in, in the final um, Canberra T20 and then 30 odd against Pakistan in the warm up game. Um, Will England just essentially be happy enough to buy their time and wait for the magic? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's where their heads are. I think the interesting thing I think about Stokes, and it pertains more to Joss than it ever did with Morgan, is that I think Butler likes having him on the field somewhere. There's always a point of contact with Stokes with regards to, you know, tactics or or simply to reinforce something that, Joss has thought about. Now, I think that is a slight criticism of Joss's captaincy. I think he does seem a lot more comfortable with those around him now than he did during the summer, um, in part because, you know, he didn't have access to a, a lot of the players that he does, or certainly a few of the players that he does now. But I think that <laughs> I'm wary that that's governing Stokes' position in the 11. That being said, he's obviously much better at number four than he is further back because it's closer to where I suppose he has had his most success or had most success as a T20 batter full stop. And then obviously, you know, we can talk about the fielding and the bowling options as part of it, but I think it's interesting that Stokes himself says that he doesn't want to be anywhere near the ball come the last, you know, five, six overs anyway. Understandably so, given what happened a few years back. But yeah, I think he... I'm just a little bit wary of him learning on the job. And I know that's pretty you know, odd thing to say about someone who's been around for so long, you know, who's, you know, 31, but it does feel like whenever you're watching him bat in a T20, he is trying to work it out. And I was quite actually heartened by the, the Canberra knock, I suppose, rather than this one against Pakistan in the warm-up where he came in at three, because because of the rain delay and the fact that he came out and 
you know, the way he attacked that first over, he clearly can do it. And it feels like maybe before he's been wrestling with the fact that he is better up top and he isn't as good in the middle. Um, I, I suppose it depends the kind of bowlers he ends up facing if he is batting through the last part of the innings. But I, I think I'm broadly okay with it because there is a slot there. I think if Bester was around, we're probably having a different conversation altogether. Um, but, and I, and I suppose, you know, Roy for that matter as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of seems fine to me at the moment. And, and, you know, because of those around him who offer different things with the ball, better things with the ball, and are more suited in their roles, whether that is the people up top or someone like Moe and Livingston further down the order, it does feel like we can have him as as a bit of a luxury player. If only, if the only luxury it is, is to just make us feel more at ease that Ben Stokes is in 11, you know, wearing an England shirt. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and occasionally... Uh pulling off these uh, uh, gravity-defying catches, or well, not a catch in the case of, uh, I think, the Canberra example, where he hauled a, a would-be six back in uh, off the rope. I think he's going to be involved in the last five overs or so in some capacity, if not bowling. Um, Matt, uh, is it um, perhaps a case that England do seem very, very settled all of a sudden, uh, um, kind of as we touched on, with their approach? You know, we've talked before about how it's, you know, go big or go home. Um, and uh, but in in Australia they added to sort of a, um, a, a surprising a burgeoning record of, um, of of defending you know uh, racking up uh, defendable scores batting first. No, teams don't like to bat first. Um, it seems generally that trend, um, albeit that it does shift from tournament to tournament, and we've seen already at this World Cup um, that chasing has somehow has, has proved a lot tougher for you know in some of these opening round games but um england yeah twice twice held off australia in um chases uh in those in that t20i series and it did did so a couple of times pretty impressively in pakistan as well yeah it, it felt like a big thing that came out of the last t20 world cup was um when england batted first in the semi-final against new zealand i think they got 160 something four um and while um, that was probably around par, um, given they went for this batting heavy side, and given the Jew was a factor in Abu Dhabi, you know, it probably wasn't the, the deciding factor in that game, but it was, it did play a role, um, you know, across the tournament. It felt as though it was a problem that England had barely batted first, or in the in the run up to that tournament, basically. I think the 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 last time Owen Morgan ever won the toss and bowled as a T Twenty international captain was in two thousand and sixteen, which is pretty incredible. When that you consider that, that it took five years for, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was still in the job for another five years. So they've done it a couple of times this year, chosen to bat. Um, and what we've seen so far in Australia is teams being pretty successful defending for the most part. I think that trend extends um across all t20 cricket in australia i think it's unusually um successful i guess across the world but then the big thing seems to be that england this year um even when they've had a you know all-rounders at six and seven rather than uh sort of super stacked batting lineup have been really really good at posting 200 or so when they batted first i think they've only lost one game batting first um they've made i think i think their second lowest score batting first and out of seven or something like that um since Butler took over as captain as 199. I think they've they've almost always got 170 plus, um, and they've they've been really good at it. And I think part of that um, speaks to the fact that while they do have this sort of you know 
they have been renowned for having this all guns blazing approach and batting all the way down. If you look at the, the sort of personnel in the top four, much as they're all explosive players when they get set. And, um, you know, for example, like David Milan has, has become a quicker starter in the last year. And as um, I think it, it feels like he's looked to play a few more shots uh, right at the start of his innings. If you look at the, if you look at Butler, Hales, Milan and Stokes and how they've actually played in T20 cricket over the last few years, I think Butler in particular has made a big point of sort of giving himself a look, especially in the first two or three overs when the new ball has done a lot in, in all white ball cricket over the last few years. Um, it feels like he's given himself a bit of a look. Um, Hales has not really fired, but um, he's probably the, I guess, the, the freest player in terms of having having complete license to go as hard as he wants early on. But then Milan and Stokes, again, both of them, you know, both of them are pretty good at staying in in T20 cricket. If you look across their careers, neither of them are dismissed that often. Um, and even if at times they can both chew up balls and, you know, get an unsatisfactory score, for the most part, they they just people who are more likely to get 40 off 30 balls and 30 off 23 balls or something like that, which, you know, it, it can be good, can be bad. But um, for the most part, it means that um, they set the game up pretty well for the middle order and the middle order have, have really fired over the last year. I think if you look at Mo and Ali's record since he's sort of been locked in at, um, as a finisher rather than someone coming in to hit spin through the middle, he's actually done that job really, really well. Um, it's probably been a little bit under underestimated just how well he's done actually uh, in that role. Um, I think he was one of the few batters who put their hand up in the summer when England really struggled in T20 cricket um, and seems at least to to be bringing that form into into the World Cup. So, um, yeah, I think England batting first, they've suddenly gone from a side who never did it and sort of, you know, seemed to do it pretty reluctantly to to a side that can post 200 and defend scores. So, um, yeah, I think they think, think that bodes really well heading into this tournament. Matt, can I ask? Um, you know, you you mentioned there at the end about um batting first more, and also earlier on with your point about England's general approach, and, and I suppose the uh, you know the, the crude version of of England's approach being basically trying to blast teams out whenever you know whatever they um they get to the crease whenever it's their turn. It feels like this is the World Cup that's more conducive to that because of the nature of Australian pitches. And therefore it does actually, certainly to my mind, it does seem to simplify yeah, their general approach. Um, do, would you say that's the case? Or um, or, do, or do, do, you, do you think they're, you know, from, from top to bottom of that batting order, they're just better attuned to the roles they're in at the moment? Yeah, I think... I think conditions will suit them more in Australia than they did in the UAE, probably, um, despite the fact England had a team that had played quite a lot of cricket in the UAE. I think um, just the nature of them being quite slow pitches and then also in, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi in particular, really long boundaries. Um, obviously, Australia has has some big boundaries as well and big grounds. Um, but I think if you look at um, England's team, I think most of those guys are pretty adept at playing, um, playing the short ball, playing off the back foot, playing against high pace as well. Um, which kind of feel like they're going to become the defining factors in, especially later in the tournament. I think when you're playing teams in knockout stages, you know, if you think about coming up against, for example, a Pakistan or South Africa in the in the semi final, potentially, um, India obviously don't have the same pace they they might have done without. They obviously don't have Jasper Bumrah through injury, but um, you know we've seen them play against Pakistan and do pretty well. We have 90 mile an hour quicks. Um, you know they could potentially play what Nasim Shah, Harris Ralph, and Shaheen Afridi, but I don't think England will sort of fear coming up against those guys and 
Um, I think they're pretty, the, the, the top four in particular are just pretty good players at the short ball. Um, so I think, yeah, it, and also it, the other thing to, to bear in mind, which I guess is probably not gone, it, it's gone unmentioned at times during the build-up to this tournament, is how experienced England's team are in Australia in terms of uh, T20 cricket in particular. That that squad, I think Mark Wood might be the only exception in terms of, and maybe Moe and Ali in terms of people who haven't played, uh, you know, at least one season of the Big Bash and in some cases a lot more. Um, and while there's obviously a slight difference in standard between, you know, hitting around Western Australia's fifth best seam or whatever versus facing Shahina Freedy under the lights, it's it's um, it, it is really helpful to turn up to a ground and having played there ten times before, know what the dimensions are, know what seems to work in a particular place versus, um, you know, you look some other teams will be going in quite cold on that front. Um, so I think that's a that's a massive thing that probably shouldn't be underplayed too much is that yeah England have um, a lot of big bash experience have a lot of, have played a lot of cricket in Australia in in white ball cricket and um, yeah I think think I, I'm sort of without w- wishing to big them up too much because I don't think they I don't think they're the best team in the tournament I think they are very well placed to get through the group which I think is the sort of the minimum expectation <laughs> no chance. Uh, I mean, I suppose, yeah, I mean, of course it is. And then at the same time, does it matter as much? Does it matter as much given, I suppose, what Matt just said about the conditions that he's going to play in? Does it matter as much given that there isn't really an alternative? Um, and also, uh, you know, he's the kind of player who could probably get away with, let's say he gets an over's worth of aura is that fair like you know you come up against him and you're you're playing you know he can rely on the fact that some people will play yeah well just a fear of play you know just that natural thing of playing the man rather than the ball i think maybe that can get him through i, I do wonder actually if you know his shoulder injury rather his shoulder full stop has been a point of contention there was that moment during the summer where he made eyes at test cricket saying that you know it feels better than ever and then you look at how much cricket he'd actually played in the previous two months and there was none at all. Um, I do wonder if maybe there's, if if England have the luxury of doing this during the group stages, if they do, you know, qualify with some room to spare, um, if giving him a rest is the right course of action, um, probably something that they, they should generally, genuinely look into. Um, yeah, it, it's... It's interesting because I think for someone like him as well, you because of the nature of his action, you do tend to to get him hurrying players, especially with that googly. That googly does seem to skip on a little bit more than the you know than the regular leg spinner. And I think if you lose a bit of that snap, it becomes a bit more manageable, particularly if it's not as full. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of concern, I'm, I'm not really. I, I think they. It sounds like behind behind the scenes is something that they are very aware of and they're not afraid to talk to him about, and you know, in a, in a way that doesn't strike fear into him because he he's quite an impressionable guy. Um, he's some, you know, like all cricketers, he relies on on confidence. You don't want to fill him with um, too much negative talk. But 
yeah, it'd be interesting to see how things pan out during the competition itself. Whether it may be even a case of hiding is probably the wrong word, but you know, getting him on because it, it's not like so. You know, we had we had this issue with Ben Stokes um, and his knee, uh, and the fact that he was bowling long spells. And one of the points that came out of the back of it was the fact that when he stops bowling, it locks up. With Rash, I think it's slightly different. I think Rash, you know, three on the bounce bounces Rash. That third over is is going because it's not going to have the same same amount of force behind it. Same, you know, this, it's not going to be as um, as a hundred percent. There is a diminishing return with Rashid when he bowls back to back. So yeah, it'd be fascinating to see how they manage it, and, and in, indeed how they work on his recovery between games. Um, let's revisit let's revisit this when he gets you know when he goes at 10 and over <laughs> into the last stage of the group stages but i can't say i'm that that worried about it well his his average for the year is 33.73 and his economy is 8.03 i suppose if he takes one for 32 in every game england won't be too uh too fussed with that and and they've got livingston's leggies to fall back on as well um matt just uh before we we move on. Um, key games for England, I suppose, because uh, we don't know who two of their five opponents are going to be. Um, Afghanistan is the is the is first up, and then it's um, it's going to be Australia, New Zealand, who are potentially their their main rivals for getting through to the semi-finals. Uh, yeah, I suppose you know, it obviously, it's such a short tournament, and what we saw last year with South Africa going out having only lost one game is that. Um, this format is pretty brutal in that, you know, um, to sort of highlight one thing is the most important game is a bit of a risk because if you, you know, if you're suddenly going all in and resting players to keep them fresh for a game against Australia and then, uh, you know, have a slightly, have the, have the wrong side out or have the wrong approach going into a game against Zimbabwe or whoever it happens to be that gets through from the first round, um, suddenly that, that can make you look pretty silly pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I think, um, yeah, those those are probably the two that stand out um, as the biggest ones. I think um, it'll be a pretty pretty cool occasion, the England Australia game, if nothing else, um, in front of, front of a full house. Um, but yeah, I think I, to be honest, I think that first game against Afghanistan is a really interesting one, just because of how unusual a challenge it is to play against Afghanistan. Because um, you know we think of Australia as being somewhere that um, and, and Perth in particular, which is where the game is, it's being somewhere that's all about fast bowling. Um, it's can you play? the short ball off the back foot um, for the most part, it's you're going to get bombarded by high pace. Whereas Afghanistan, a, a pretty different side to that in that they'll probably have Majid bowling in the power play. Um, they, they they have a, a seam of Faruqi who's got good raps recently, I think was at the IPL with Sunrises and um, I don't think has played against England before. So that might be an interesting challenge for them. Um, unusual for England to come up against any players that they haven't seen quite a lot of, I suppose. So, um, be interesting to see how he goes, but yeah, I think just the the possibility of Afghanistan potentially fielding Majib, Rashid Khan, Mohammad Nabi, and Case Ahmad in the same team, they could bowl sixteen overs of spin at the Wacker, which oh sorry at the Optus, which would be very unusual, but um, it would be a an intriguing challenge. And I personally, I don't think Afghanistan's batting lineup is good enough for England to be too worried going into this first game. I think they'll go in as strong favourites, but um, you know the possibility of a, a of Rashid coming on with England wobbling after a slightly dodgy power play and suddenly it all gets a bit tasty. Um, I think there was a 2016 where Afghanistan gave England a real scare at a previous T20 World Cup. So 
Um, yeah, I think that, that that is actually a bit of a banana skin, having sort of talked up their chances throughout the whole thing. I think, um, you know, just because of how unusual a team they are to play against compared to, to um, those that they, they have over the last however long. Um, I think that'll be a really tough challenge. I think that could be a could be a really interesting game. Um, and and talking about interesting uh, matchups throughout this, I mean, we, we've um, we've touched on West Indies and Sri Lanka already messing up their uh, their their paths through as A one and B one. Uh, I think Sri Lanka, if they uh, had uh, were to somehow still win, um, their group would go into England's uh, in in the Super Twelves. Um, Vish, how how keen are you to see uh, both West Indies and Sri Lanka go into the same Super 12 group? Perhaps the one that already has India, Pakistan um, and South Africa in it as well. What Keen, keen in what sense? <laughs> well, a proper group of death here. Well, I mean, that's that's Replete the farce. with 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 <laughs> regional rivalries as well. I mean, I, I was I was gunning for Scotland in England's group. To be honest, if you if you really want to go proper regional rivalry, um, that I suppose is is the folly of this particular World Cup, given the fact that um, you know we only have two groups. So one is one is it's not even death really. It's the you know group of slightly awkward and the group slightly less awkward. Um, but yeah, that that would be you know it, it would be quite interesting. But um, I kind of only just because Matt said it about the idea that England coming across players that they haven't really come across before I, I mean I'm, I'm kind of all for that I, I you know I, I do think this as Matt said it's going to be opened up for the next World Cup anyway to a point but um I, I would quite like to see England be challenged on or rather any any established team be challenged on what is in front of them maybe just as little prep as possible I always thought actually that I say I always thought, literally probably about an hour ago, but I was just thinking about it when I was doing some research for this, that it'd be quite interesting to have, if we could have a blind test of T20 cricketers and almost say like, right, no prep, no prep going into this game. They're gonna, you're going to see each other, almost like a blind date style scenario where you rock up and you play against a team that's in front of you and see who adapts best in game. Um, so that, that that's, that's kind of, my, kind of my thoughts on it. If you're going to have two groups, I think, no one should have prep. You should shut down the shut down the Crickviz database, and no one has access to it at all. Leave all your analysts at home, and you know, mark what bin that piece of paper. It's not going to help you now. Unless, yeah, let's let's re- strip them to the waist, you know, skins and shirts, and just go at it. Yeah, no slot balls is all that said. Uh, I think he knows that <laughs> by heart. Um, and of course, you know, depending on how things go, we know that Netherlands versus England at a T20 World Cup is always a good game. Um, before we before we leave Australia entirely, just uh, I want to know if either of you have any strong thoughts about the uh, the Matthew Wade non obstruction non appeal for obstruction. Um, Douglas Jardine would not have uh, allowed Australia off the hook there, but uh, as Josh Butler did. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of couldn't care less. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not going to come on and say it's against the spirit of cricket to uh, to have not appeal. Lock him up. Throw away the key. <laughs> Applies to what anyone. if kids? Yeah. What if kids see that? Yeah, and stop stop appealing for wickets. Um, game's gone. We will touch on briefly. I think uh, before we finish, uh, England have announced a test squad in the last couple of weeks. Um, well, they go uh, the never-ending uh, roundabout of um, of cricket. They're off to Pakistan again in <laughs> in a few weeks' time. Uh, as a Uvish, um, Liam Livingston, we've already talked about him in the World 
Cup since, but he is uh, a test cricketer again, potentially, although uh, he's uh, yet to make a debut. He has been in a squad before. He's the bolter uh, this time around, having not played first-class cricket since September 2021. Uh, no Alex Lees, which I guess was signposted by the fact he didn't get a central contract. Ben Duckett and, and Keaton Jennings in contention to open. Um, thoughts, uh, Vish, you wrote a piece about Livingston's inclusion. Yeah, and it was one of those pieces you write where you, you probably meet the selection more than halfway because I suppose on paper it doesn't necessarily make too much sense. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I think I'm quite a generous guy, I think. Um, I mean, I, I do like it. That being said, I, I, I do like it. I don't think it's... I don't think Pakistan... Well, I mean, certainly in, you know, if we go by recent history, um, it's not... Just because it's in Asia doesn't mean it's, you know, it hasn't been uh, very spin friendly. Um, and then at the same time, I suppose, you know, the PCB might look at that squad and be like, well, hold on. The England squad rather than think, well, OK, well, let's just flip the switch on this then. Um, but yeah, he kind of in in very rudimentary terms, he does embody a lot of what this current England team are about, even if that in itself is a bit overblown in terms of you know, whacking the ball and having big personalities on the field and expressing yourself and stuff like that, which are all, you know, traits of Livingston and traits that have, you know, certainly when he was playing regular Red Bull cricket, and I'm thinking back to 2017 before he got that first call-up for the New Zealand tour after the 2018 Ashes. Um, yeah, those are traits that um, he's, they were very evident in his, um, in his Red Bull showing for Lancashire as well and, you know, briefly for the England Lions. Um I mean, I, I suppose it's in in terms of where he'll bat if he plays. It's you know it will, it will presumably it's going to be below six unless they unless they think having him as an all round option who can be in at six ahead of ahead of Harry Brook as um, as unfair as that might seem could could also work very well. There's also Will Jacks as well who um, he's probably well, he's definitely the more interesting of the two selections, not least because Gareth Batty, his Surrey coach, has worked a lot with him with his offspin and says that he has come on leaps and bounds. There's a little bit of a moaner like with him in the sense that he's had this responsibility as Surrey's offspinner, which has almost been hidden from him, if that's the right way of putting it. Uh, there was one game uh, against, yeah, more or less, yeah, yeah. There was one game. <laughs> there was one game against um, Kent, which got rained off. Where Batty said it, he, it was the first time he looked at him and thought, "You could, you could actually win us this game outright, rather than contribute a few wickets here and there." Um, and yeah, I, I do wonder if England actually pulled the cord on that because I think he, if they do that, he is someone who would need to bat. In the top four, given you know where he's batted previously and what his what his strengths are, which is why I don't see that as a as a likely option um, going forward, uh, so rather for this series anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it seems quite exciting. I mean, Ben Duckett as well. I, I think Ben Duckett should be the the number one opener. I know Keaton Jennings is you know had a very impressive summer, and Keaton Jennings, I like him even just as a as a head in that dressing room almost the designated adult I'm, I'm, I am I do think this team 
need someone like that who is has a bit, bit of sensibility about him, especially on an overseas tour where things can get quite grating. Um, even just somebody, th- even just somebody who thinks like that, and you know, he had an alternative to Strauss band was that, which was actually rooted in experience and a bit of sense as well, which is very rare. You don't often get both in those kind of conversations. Um, but personally, I think Ben Duckett is, you know, if I if I was you know putting putting that eleven down in ink, um, I, I would have Duckett up there with um, with Zach Crawley personally. Um, well, that's that's that decided then. Matt, as ever, the, the fast bowling is is going to be, you know, uh, an interesting issue, depending on what pitches are like. But we know Pakistan um, have a good pace attack, and and when the when when any life did come into those tests against Australia um, earlier in the year, it was it tended to be with sort of reverse swing and so on. Um, Mark Wood is included if fit, is always the caveat there, I suppose, uh, coming in off a, off a World Cup. Um, no, Ollie Stone, Jamie Overton. Uh, also in the party, uh, no Stuart Broad because of a paternity leave. Yeah, I think, well, actually, I think the key seamer for England um, could potentially be Ben Stokes. I think if you look at um, how he's bowled when England have been in Asia, I think that uh, test he won in Bangladesh in 2016 is the one that springs to mind where he was reversing the old ball. Um, I think he, he's, he's really important um, as a seamer. And, it, you know, it, it, there's obviously a slight question mark as to whether he's going to get through three back-to-back-to-back tests if he's got a third seamer's workload, for example. But I think England could set up with that as the plan for the first test. Um, You know, it sounds, by all accounts, his knee is sort of incredibly heavily strapped at the moment in Australia and he's been, um, it's clearly not perfect, but I think I can definitely see him sort of playing some kind of a role as an impact bowler. Um, Basically, as I saw it, the, the most interesting part of England's fastballing is how few they've taken on the tool, which suggested to me that they might only pick two genuine seamers um, plus Stokes in each 11. So I sort of saw it as Robinson and Anderson being, I guess, they're obviously different bowlers in terms of stuff like release points, but being somewhat interchangeable and then um, similar with Wood and Overton. So I think they'll probably, you, you could potentially pair it as Anderson and Overton, Anderson and Overton, easy for me to say, um, leaves you with... Um, and then Robinson and Wood leaves you with one taller bowler and one quicker bowler in each um, in each potential combination. Um, and then obviously, yeah, I, I suppose the the other question is going to be what role Jack Leach has because England have made such a big point throughout the summer of getting him into games early and um, talking about the the need to take wickets throughout um, whenever they're in the field. Basically, the focus always has to be on wickets. You do wonder if they have the pitch if the pitches in Pakistan are similar to the ones. Um, that we saw in that series against Australia, whether Leach's role might change a little bit and he might become a sort of more of a hold and end up and do the do the hard yards, do the donkey work and let people rotate at the other end. Um, but yeah, it'll be a really interesting one to see how they set up in um, six weeks' time or whenever it is because, um, yeah, it, it, if you sort of sketch out a team from that 11, you know, the one for me ended up being, I, I would have, I would basically say that it, whichever spin, spin bowling all rounder ends up playing because I think one of Jackson Livingston will will probably end up sort of in the, like a free batting role at number seven or eight either side of Ben Folks, which, you know, would clearly be a, a pretty left field pick in terms of either of those guys coming in at eight. I, d- I doubt many of them have played a first class innings that low, but, um, you know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll work just giving them a, a license to go pretty hard and uh, see what happens. But um, yeah, it should be a really interesting series. That's when we get to it. 
definitely lots to look forward to there. Um, I think that's enough to be going on with for now. England will be hoping to get their World Cup campaign off to a Perth flyer on Saturday morning while we keep our eyes down on the lookout for banana skins. My thanks to Vish and Matt. We will be back for more soon. You have been listening to the Switch It podcast on ESPNClickInfo.com.